This week's featured organization is Seed Song Farm, located in Kingston, New York, run by Creek and Lisa Iverson. Seed Song is running a community-sustained agricultural program at a low cost of $17 per week for half share, with Saturday pickup in Kingston, and also raising money to subsidize shares for low-income families in the area. Seed Song Farm will also be at Rosendale Farmers Market every Sunday, and will be hosting a full calendar of music and cultural events. Welcome back, it's Saja Tracy, and this is Justin Tracy. Saja is. Reporting to us remotely today, a truly exciting week for us. Saja, you spoke with Representative Fazo. I did. It was the highlight of my week, except not really. But I was really grateful to be able to get through to him. Yeah. So tell us what happened. Well, I've been calling John Fazo's Washington office every day and noting to the staffer. And lately, I haven't been getting Alex. So maybe he's quit in spite of us. But Fazo doesn't. Post his schedule in advance, and this, of course, was a congressional recess week. So it would have been nice for New York 19 constituents to know what Fazel was up to. What is he so afraid of? What would even happen if he did? I guess he's afraid of being confronted by constituents in a format that he can't control. We know this. He's already in trouble, so he's got to play it safe and make sure nothing else ends up on YouTube after his infamous Andrea Mitchell incident. Yeah, that's right. Wednesday, his daily schedule wasn't posted until late in the morning, and it showed he'd be appearing on a call-in show on this station, Thunder One O Two. What's Thunder One O Two? Do we get that here? We don't get that here. It's a country music station under a media group called Bold Gold Media. It's owned by this guy Vince Benedetto, who recently retweeted Sean Hannity. Yeah. Okay. So we'll take a guess at the network's political leanings. Well, kudos to Keith on Twitter for the tip that Fazo's daily schedule had been updated. I'm really amazed at this Twitter community that we found and how on top of things they are. So I was able to call in at 5:50 p.m. on Wednesday and get right through. I had written out this strongly worded question about the Paris Agreement and if John Fazo could please, please call on 45 to stay in it. But the DJ set up some rules while I was on the phone that the questions had to be healthcare related. Why didn't you just ask your Paris Agreement question anyway? I was really nervous, and the DJ was a little bit abrupt with me on the phone, and it seemed like he wasn't expecting my call, like it was an unadvertised call-in town hall or something. But I didn't want Fazo to accuse me of not sticking to the rules or something. I mean, it's not like he plays by any semblance of rules himself. You know, he didn't tell people about this radio town hall. So why should we play it by the rules? There's plenty to talk about with Fazo, though. In fact, we have six episodes worth at this point. I did think on my feet about something related to healthcare, so I asked John Fazo about the American Healthcare Act's repeal of taxes on tanning salons. Okay. You do love talking about that tax cut. This gets to me. I grew up always having to listen to family members griping about my being too dark, and here were these girls that I went to high school with, spending hours upon hours in tanning salons, spending money on packages for tanning when they could have been studying or saving that money to deal with the crippling college debt that might have been coming their way. So I was really happy about the fact that not only did the Affordable Care Act tax these facilities that are proven to cause skin cancer, they'd have the effect of pricing people out of doing something harmful and perhaps using that money on a healthier option. All right, so I'm going to play the audio of this question. Here we go. Hi, this is Sasha Tracy, and I'm calling from Hurley, New York. 
Well, Donna, what, what's your question for, for Representative Faso? Um, my question is that the American Healthcare Act includes a provision that gives a big tax cut to tanning salons. Tanning salons have shown to increase skin cancer rates, and I was wondering why this industry that does increase cancer rates, a lot of the girls I went to school with um, were tanning when they were very young, and it has been linked to skin cancer. Why does this industry deserve a tax break? And it's a provision of the AHCA. I have read the bill, and I'm really interested to know why the tanning industry deserves this tax break. Well, thank you uh, for the call uh, from Hurley in Ulster County. Um, there are a number of taxes that were imposed with the ACA, including the uh, tanning tax. And uh, frankly, this was a, a pretty heavy burden placed on these small businesses. I do think it's important that people understand the uh, risks of excessive exposure to uh, tanning and also sunlight. I mean, it's it's very important to combat skin cancer, etc. But at the same time, this was a very onerous tax put upon these tanning studios. All right. So his answer is that he doesn't want to harm small businesses, but tanning salons aren't providing a service that's healthy. They essentially, like cigarettes, cause cancer and burden the health care system. Somehow tanning salons are entitled to a benefit in the bill, but people will be losing their benefits that they got through the ACA. The tanning industry also lobbied for Obamacare repeal and is only one of the industries getting a tax break through this bill. Did anything good happen during this radio session? So Faso answered also a question that someone had about the American Health Care Act, about how could Faso vote for this bill that will consider sexual assault a pre-existing condition. Let me actually play this question and answer. Bring up the first email question. We have an email from, uh, from Alex, who is uh, concerned about uh, some of these specifics on the uh, ACA repeal. I'll, I'll read this verbatim. It says, Mr. Faso, please answer yes or no. The ACA repeal you were a key vote on and architect for makes sexual assault a pre-existing condition. How do you defend this morally bankrupt legislation? Well, that is absolutely, Alex is totally wrong. And I would encourage him to look at the Washington Post fact checker, which did a fact check on that specific allegation. And they gave it four Pinocchios as completely, totally false. The uh, legislation that I supported does protect people with pre-existing conditions. And, it, and, and, and remember, there is um, the existing ACA. Uh, and the essential benefits in the ACA don't apply to everyone who's insured in the country. So there is a waiver provision that is contained within this legislation that I voted for, which I wasn't crazy about. But I, I will tell you that the limited state waivers that exist only apply in the individual insurance market, which is about 7% of the insureds in the country. So only if you're in a state where a governor successfully seeks a waiver – and you're in the individual market, and you had a pre-existing condition, but you didn't maintain continuous coverage, only in that limited circumstance would an insurer be able to do what is called health underwriting. In other words, charge you a premium based upon what your pre-existing condition can be, and only for a period of one year. We put in $8 billion in addition 
to make sure that that person who lives in a state where a governor got a limited waiver, who is in the individual market, which and who also had a pre-existing condition, and they didn't maintain continuous coverage, only in that very limited circumstance, we added additional money so that person wouldn't be charged more for that one-year period. So well, some, some of those against have, have argued that, that the $8 billion really isn't going to be enough. Right. Now, these waivers uh, on a state-by-state -state basis, because essentially this is what the American Health Care Act is doing, is essentially putting more of the power back to the states Correct. to decide as to how they want to uh, function and, 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 and set up their, their health care system. Right. Waivers will be coming into place as of 2020, uh, where many of the governors will more than likely be changing the way they, they pre present their health care. And, uh, and at that point, do you think that the $8 billion is, is going to be enough when we talk about the nation as a whole? Mike, here's, here's the way I look at it. I read this provision extremely closely, and I don't believe many, if any, governors will actually seek these waivers. Again, it's an extraordinarily limited waiver. It doesn't apply to things like maternity coverage. You couldn't get a waiver so that you could charge women, for instance, more than men. And it only applies in the circumstance where you're someone – it doesn't apply to anyone on Medicaid, on Medicare, on TRICARE, who works for a state or local government, the federal government. It doesn't apply to anyone who is in a ERISA plan, which is basically self-insured companies, which are larger companies. They never had protection of the ACA essential benefits to begin with. So what, what unfortunately a lot of the – Callers, and I'm not saying Alex was one of those, but a lot of the critics have uh, made misrepresentations as to what these waivers contain, and they've made also some outrageous statements that somehow rape and sexual assault was a pre-existing condition. Absolutely, totally false, and you don't have to believe me. Believe the Washington Post fact-checker and you can see that it got four Pinocchios. So um, I, I, I feel very confident in what I'm saying that uh, what Alex had suggested was not true. Talking about Pinocchio in response to sexual assault is such a chauvinistic thing to say, you know? Good point, but Fazo's not technically wrong here. The American Healthcare Act, it doesn't include language that makes sexual assault or rape a pre-existing condition, but it does make the health consequences of sexual assault a pre-existing condition in some states. Let me put this in terms of a realistic situation that could actually happen now if this bill becomes law. You're 28 years old. You live in District 19. You decide after aging out of your parents' insurance, you won't get insurance anymore. It's just too expensive, and now there's no financial penalty for you not having insurance. And then let's say you're the victim of sexual assault. You have to go to the hospital. You have to get a rape kit, STD test. You pay full sticker price for these services, and you have to travel miles since Planned Parenthood had, has been defunded, and that's the only provider of these types of services in your rural area. Then... You develop PTSD as a result of the assault. And let's say you get into a grad school in Alabama. Alabama is one of the states that's likely to apply for a waiver to be able to charge people more for pre-existing conditions. So you get to Alabama and you look for treatment for your PTSD. And the insurers can now charge you more. And this is the way that victims of sexual assault suffer under this bill. 
And John Faslow seems to think the situation I described is an okay outcome. So although it doesn't directly appear as if rape is a pre-existing condition, if you take the time to put together a hypothetical like this, the system won't help this person. That's the part that he's leaving out. He's promised not to take people's health care away, but he decided to toe the Republican line and go for the tax cuts for the super wealthy and corporations. He did speak about Lyme disease which is a huge deal for us here in New York 19. I found several ticks on myself this week and our dog with now. I know, these ticks are really disgusting, and I'm glad Fazel spoke on this, but his statement was out of touch. What we need now is to make sure that this crisis with Lyme disease does not cripple New York 19 residents, and there are two ways that we can do this. A robust investment in research, so the treatments to prevent Lyme disease are not the debilitating ones that are currently available. The antibiotics have a really harmful effect on people. And in Faso's televised statement on Lyme disease, he committed to funding the National Institute for Health. And number two, we need to make haste while we respond to climate change. Right. So the reason why this year's Lyme situation up in the Catskills is so bad is because of our warm winter. And as it gets warmer up here, the climate becomes more and more ideal for these vile ticks. So I was extremely disappointed in Fazo's statement on 45's decision to exit the Paris Climate Accord. Let's recap for a minute. John Fazo is not a climate change denier officially. He's in the Climate Solutions Caucus in the House, and I think on a basic level, he acknowledges that there is a very real problem. But if you really parse his statement that he released only after 45's frankly appalling announcement in the Rose Garden, and I've managed not to become too emotional very often, that's pretty hard given the fact that my identity as a Muslim female daughter of two immigrants seems to be constantly under attack these days. And on top of all that, my parents have doctorates in environmental engineering, so climate change is a topic that has come up in my household growing up, and it's been accepted by science at this point. I can't even believe we're still talking about it. And the president's press conference was just so factually inaccurate. It just did it for me. John Faso's out there giving people Pinocchios, but that was just beyond anything else I've ever seen. You can tell that Saj is really angry about this. It really is America last, not America first, getting out of this Paris Agreement. Just so our listeners know, I've seen Saja angry, but after this press conference, it was literally the boiling point. Right. So Fazo's statement, all he could muster up the courage to say was that the decision to leave the Paris Accord was ill-advised. And then he proceeded to criticize the legal shortcomings of the agreement and criticize Barack Obama. It just doesn't make sense. He somehow seems to not recall that District 19 is one of those befuddling Obama-Trump districts, those mystical unicorns of districts that have been confusing every political scientist since the election. We should all be alarmed. This decision makes the U.S. a laughingstock of the entire world. We are the flat earthers. <laughs> and you're only as good as the company you keep, which is, in this case, Nicaragua and Syria. Nicaragua didn't join because it thought the Paris Agreement didn't do enough to address climate change, and Syria is run by a dictator who came to power through corruption of the minority and gassing his people. 
So the moral of the story is that Spotlight 19 truly believes that Fazo's statement on the president's decision to leave the Paris Accord was the most ill-advised thing. He should get new advisors. And John Faso, if you're listening, Saja and I are available. Again, we invite you to the show. Where was Faso this week during recess anyway? Look, I don't want to spend every episode bashing Faso. He was pretty cryptic about what he was up to during the recess, but he did visit a school out in South Courtright in the Upper Catskills. And he spent time with this program that's federally funded. It's an after-school program that serves the community, but specifically helps the neediest kids there. And Faso did support this program in the must-pass budget bill passed earlier in May. But I've seen no commitment as of yet to continue its funding or add more funding for this program that really provides after-school resources in a community where kids need this care. Good. I'm glad that at least one of the events was for the federally funded after-school program and serving the lesser fortunate kids. I hope he thinks about the votes in the context of these people because it's not just about visiting, taking photo ops. It's about his votes and how it will impact the people of District 19. They might be smiling now for the photo op, but when they get home, they might find that their healthcare bill has gone up because the Republicans are advocating for uncertainty in the insurance markets. Or it's someone who's had an adverse reaction to pesticides that have run off you know, into local a local swimming hole because the industrial park down the street no longer needed a permit to use the pesticides. So the authorities couldn't warn the people not to swim there. My only hope is that his visits to groups like the Courtright Schools equals or surpasses the time he spends fundraising or visiting these area Republican groups. And Spotlight 19, Justin and I are part of this growing group of people that has actually been blocked by the Twitter account of the Catskill GOP. And it's not like we were heckling them, but instead we were asking them if they'd agree to be on the show. We'd like to get a FASO voter on to understand other viewpoints, and I wish we could really get a meeting with FASO, but I think at this point we're on the official opponent registry. And yet he did listen to us and talk about local breweries and have a photo op with a person of color, and perhaps in some way we are getting through to him. So this week I'm going to call on him to wish the Muslim community in New York 19 and beyond a happy Ramadan. Fazo commemorated Shavuot, a Jewish holiday that is far lesser known than Yom Kippur or Passover or Rosh Hashanah, but didn't acknowledge the start of Ramadan, which is the holiest month for Muslims. In a time when the anxiety level and feelings of marginalization for the community are so high, I call upon John Fazo to reach out to them and make them feel welcome. And we will be inviting him to celebrate Iftar, the breaking of the fast. That's sweet of you. While I don't think he will come, I hope he acknowledges the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan is really about charity. It's about looking out for your neighbor. It's about self-reflection. And in these times, it's really important to do those things. It was a little bit upsetting to me that John Fazo was really near to the Spotlight 19 studio. He actually gave a commencement address at Coleman High School, a private Catholic school less than a mile away. Yeah, I looked for his commencement address, but I couldn't find it. I bet the central theme of his speech was ignore your opponents. 
And this is a good time as any to move to our five fast Fazo facts segment. Five fast Fazo facts. So this week we will be focusing on Fazo's early life, and the reason we're doing this biography of Fazo is because. When Fazo does have these one-on-one meeting with constituents, we'd really encourage people to frame their questions for him as they might pertain to his background, so they could have a greater impact, perhaps. So number one is that John Fazo is from Massapequon, out on Long Island. He was born in 1952. His father was the son of Sicilian immigrants, and I believe his mother was Irish. So even in that fact alone, there are issues. Massapequa was severely impacted by Superstorm Sandy, which was one of the first late cycle storms caused by climate change, and these will only get worse. On to number two, Fazo was the eldest of five kids, and here's a quote from him about that: "Quote: I was kind of the leader of the bunch, and I did what I was supposed to do." That's such a fascinating quote. It really shows that he felt responsible for his other siblings and was a leader among them. But it also shows that he towed the line. He really listened and did what he was supposed to do. So that's really applicable today to how he's approaching his time in Congress. So number three, Fazo grew up in a household that was for Presidents Truman and Kennedy, and Fazo himself wore a Hubert Humphrey pin back in 1968. Fazo was coming of age at a really politically volatile time in the late 60s. But our fact number four is that he wasn't involved with the protest movement and was commuting from Massapequa to Archbishop Malloy High School in Queens, a private Catholic school. It's amazing that you could be so close to New York City and insulated from the anti-war movement of the late 60s. The last fast fact I have is that Fazo actually, while growing up, he helped out his father, who was a handyman. Fazo apparently did things like install air conditioners and shingle roofs. Wow, that's so far from his image now, but it's so important. Two of our closest friends in New York 19 are handymen, and they get insurance from the ACA exchanges. And if some kind of bill is passed whereby they lose their insurance, I know the next time they stumble off a ladder, the decision on whether to go to a doctor will change. We now have an interview with Steve Brizzy. Our second congressional district nineteen candidate. Yeah, I believe we're actually now up to six candidates: Steve Brizzy, who we're having on later, Gareth Rhodes, who we had on a few weeks ago, Antonio Delgado, who just made an official video this week, Jeff Beals, Brian Flynn, and Sue Sullivan. So it is definitely going to be an exciting primary race. Indeed. Up next, our interview with Steve Brizzy. Stick around. So today we have Steve Brizzy, who's also a candidate for Congress to run against John Fazzo. He was actually the first to file of now. I think we are up to six candidates. So welcome to Steve. Thank Thanks you for very being much. here. Thank you for having me. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your background. How are you connected to the 19th congressional district? So um, I was uh, I was born, raised all over the Hudson Valley and the Catskills. My mom was living in Walk Hill when I was born. I was born in Cold Spring, New York. Don't ask me why she drives an hour and a half. I uh, I went to Walk Hill High School. I, I grew up around here. And is Walk Hill in which county is um, that? In? Walk Hill is in Ulster County. Okay, so I also noted that you went to school at SUNY Orange, right?、Mm-hmm. Uh, do, do you think it matters that 
you know, Orange County is not in this district. I know a lot was made out of the fact that Zephyr Teachout wasn't from here, but how well, there's important? A difference. I, I feel there's a difference between um, being from Orange County and being from Brooklyn. Zephyr, Zephyr Teachout, she, uh, she was from originally Vermont and then moved to Brooklyn and then moved up from there. Part of the uh, Orange County used to be part of the district. It was redistricted in 2012, where Sean Patrick Maloney ran in the newly created 18th district and the 19th was pushed up. And traditionally, Orange County is is in the same congressional district as uh, Ulster and Sullivan. And at the end of the day, I moved a mile and a half. (laughs) (laughs) And that put you in the 19th district. officially. I thought I was originally in the 19th until you look up land surveys and everything. I had to look up land surveys. That, that is something, it's a weird quirk about, you know, you can live a mile away from someone and end up mm-hmm. in a different district. Yeah. Um, I did note that you are the youngest candidate. I think you're 26. I just turned 27. Oh, happy birthday. Thank you very much. Uh, and you do seem to perhaps have a lack of affiliation to some of the Democratic parties up here. And sometimes you've even been excluded from some events. I noticed that in some local media, they don't list you as a candidate. What do you think about all of that? I believe that was the Daily Freeman article you're referring to? Yes. Yeah. I, uh, I reached out to them and I said, hi, I'm running. And they told me that I hadn't issued a press release to them, which I'm, I'm more waiting to do because I'm, I'm rebranding. I wanted to get my name out there as the, as the first one who filed because I, I, I kind of knew John Fassett was going to be this bad. He's really taken to heart the rhetoric of Trump when during his campaign, it seemed like he was fairly moderate and he would stand up for his own ideals and beliefs. But now it seems like he's just going along with whatever they're telling him to do. Part of what I did, uh, the reason why I filed before uh, before he announced, I did a, a study of his 22 years as a, as a member of the assembly. And you can see consistently his pattern. He falls in line. With, with what is, I don't want to say expected, but what is asked. So it's no surprise that he would do that in Congress. Oh, when did you exactly decide to file, actually? I, well, I decided to run on July 18th, the first night of the Republican National Convention. That's when I decided to run. I filed three weeks. It was December 14th that I officially filed. And was that based on your study of John yes. Fazzo's voting record while he was a state legislator? Yeah. And just going back to what we were talking about earlier, are you discouraged at all that campaigns of outsiders, people that might not have an established record with the local Democratic parties, for example, Rob Quist in Montana, who just uh, lost the, that congressional race, or Alexis Frank, who's actually the same age as you and wasn't able to get the nomination in South Carolina? What do you think about the fact that you don't have this long-standing relationship with the Democratic Party, which seems to me to be fairly important to the parties in the area. To, to the parties, yes, but uh, in terms of with the people, the lack of experience and uh, lack of affiliation is more plays as a good thing, I've noticed. But I'm not really discouraged. I, I expected something like this. Uh, Working in the industry I am, I'm 15 years younger than, than the next person. And with age comes a certain, or with lack of age, I should say, comes a certain uh, bias. Uh, people might not think I'm a serious candidate. People 
might not think I'm qualified, and that, that all comes with age. But I'm not discouraged. That just means that I have to show them. And how do you intend to show people that you do have the experience and you are ready to take on this role? When I put my website out, one of the first things that I made sure was that all of my issues were thoroughly researched. Um, they were documented. Everything was organized and everything was accessible. Whereas I've noticed that when people announce that they're running, it's a well-written letter and a donate button. I didn't want to do that. So I want to show people that what I do essentially uh, qualifies me to, to be a functioning and effective member of Congress. Uh, my job literally writing policy involves touching multiple industries, uh, regulations, as well as studying and becoming essentially a subject matter expert in various so what are some of those topics and how might they relate to some of the legislation you would be involved with in Congress? First, uh, before I started running, I was familiar with political contributions and uh, the legality behind how and how much and who people contribute to across the spectrum from state assembly to, uh, to president as part of writing a policy to monitor people who might be trying to donate money to a candidate while working at that specific firm. So in order to understand how people are going to break a law or violate a regulation in some way, you have to know, you have to know the topic. And are you creating policies for different companies so they can use them or what, it, what is it exactly that you so, do in your job? If I list off a couple behaviors, like eating bacon and eggs, turning off an alarm clock, taking a shower, making lunch for children, putting on a new suit, or putting on a, a fresh suit, I should say, you would assume that the time of day would be morning. That's kind of what I do with my job, but applying that to insider trading, looking at specific behaviors and certain actions that are indicative of someone violating a regulation or violating a set of requirements that I've been given. So I would use information to surveil employees. And I've done this for financial firms, uh, defense contractors, uh, hospital and uh, education. These, these different policies that I would write, each requiring that I've become familiar with the industry regulation and then basically teach a computer how to watch someone and make sure they don't break the law. I did see that you support cutting regulations that affect small businesses. And that's actually essentially what John Faso uses as a justification for some of his votes as well. How is your stance on cutting red tape different from his? Well, first, I'm not going to vote yes on legislation that allows companies to dump uh, waste into streams and rivers. I believe that we need to, I agree with the president that we need to reevaluate the regulations that are in place because a lot of them, you'll see these large, especially in finance, your Wells Fargo, uh, Bank of America, they'll lobby Congress for additional regulations that they know local communities, uh, local community banks can't afford. So instead of uh, Ulster savings going up in your community, now you have a Wells Fargo branch. 
And those are the kind of regulations that need to be targeted and need to be eliminated. I believe in scalable regulation. A regulation, unless it's insider trading, something blanketed like that, shouldn't apply to a large financial firm in the same aspect as a small one. It, it was the large banks that, that took the economy down, not the small banks. And do you think that that same type of scalable regulation should also apply to environment? Because I think in our last episode, we discussed this environmental regulation on pesticides. A lot of small farmers might argue that, you know, they should be allowed to use pesticides. How do you think that the regulations should differ across industries? Um, You just mentioned banking, but a lot of times farmers are really burdened by regulations. Regulations need to achieve some sort of purpose. When evaluating what the purpose of a regulation is, does it harm the environment? Is that the only reason why it's banned? I believe that, yes, uh, we should be enforcing the use of, of green products. We should be very, very concerned about our environment. And my, my scalable regulations stance applies more to industry than it does to environment. I believe it's imperative uh, that we address climate change. And recently, with the president withdrawing from the Paris Climate Agreement, it's devastating. Justin and I both called our representative every day to issue a statement calling on the president to stay in the agreement. And, you know, all we got here on the 19th was a fairly weak statement that spends most of its time criticizing the Paris Agreement itself. And it does concern me that there do seem to be constituents that are climate deniers in this district. What do you think is the best way to educate these voters and make sure they understand some of the ramifications? So unfortunately, there's already enough information out there that that essentially proves climate change. Any respected scientist will, will tell you that Climate's changing and it's our fault. So I don't think it's necessarily about approaching people and saying, listen, you're wrong. It's about getting there and, and doing something. And that's part of what I want to run on. I want to stop hurting the only planet that we have to live on. We're in New York. New York's going to jump on board with the Paris Agreement and this new agreement between all yeah, the governors. Yeah, that's good at least. And... You know, we have this focus, we have these goals that we're trying to meet. We just passed a solar panel, a place that sells solar panels. So, but yet there are these people in this district that are still denying that climate change is happening. How can we educate those people and bring them to the table? They're not looking at the idea that the technology is growing. They're looking at right now. And right now we don't have uh, an alternative to their gas truck. We don't have... Um, a a battery that can last so long in an electric vehicle, which is why I support funding research that gets us up to that level. Our technology uh, advances 50% each day. And by providing tax credits to to people who are uh, going to be doing this research and by funding the research ourselves through government grants, et cetera, we can get the technology up to a level where we can even make it cheaper for them to... uh, for them to switch over. And it's all about the almighty dollar at the end of the day. You know, you mentioned the almighty dollar and providing tax incentives and a way that some states in 
the country have been raising revenue over the past few years is by legalizing the use of recreational marijuana. And I did see that that's one of the issues listed on your website. It does have its own section, which was Mm -hmm. interesting. What are some of your views on that? So Republicans like to ask the question, well, who's going to pay for it when it comes to health care, when it comes to public college? We have a gold mine just sitting right there. It's scheduled as a Schedule One controlled substance for no reason. And we've seen its legalization doesn't have any disastrous effects on communities. So by legalizing marijuana and taxing it in the same way that, that we tax cigarettes or alcohol, that's a huge revenue. Colorado recently had on the ballot last November uh, the idea of Colorado Care, what New York is trying to do with a single payer system. And that's how they were going to fund it. And I think that that's a great sentiment to have. <clears throat> However, this administration and the Department of Justice and its head, uh, Attorney General Jeff Sessions, does not seem like he will go along with the federal legalization of marijuana. I think if he had his way, he would classify it at even a higher level than Schedule One, if that were possible. So what are some ideas you might have on the federal level to get people more on board with the idea of a federal legalization? It doesn't seem likely to happen in the next four years. If we were able to show them, look, listen, this is how much revenue it's gotten Colorado, it's gotten Washington, it's gotten Alaska. This is how much it's brought in. How much do you think we could get for the entire country? What things could we fund? What do the districts or the people of your districts need? How could this help all of us? How do you think that would play into this whole caucus of Congress that's emerged that is all about small government and reducing the role of federal government, which seems to be the administration's platform as well? They're all about lifting regulations. That's what this would be. (laughs) That is true. I did note that you seem to be pro-Second Amendment. I mean, I don't think that other Democrats are anti-Second Amendment, but the Second Amendment is important to residents of District 19. One of the reasons is that there are a lot of wild animals that can come onto your property, and sometimes, you know, there's rabies outbreaks, and in those types of cases, uh, having a gun comes in handy. And I did see on your website that, you know, you're making an appeal to the Second Amendment. Could you tell us a little bit more about where your views on the Second Amendment actually come from? I agree with Republicans that it's not the gun that kills people or that does the damage itself. It's the individual. I believe that most people who do own guns, they're they're very responsible. They keep it locked in a safe. And that's the big thing that you hear when people introduce the idea of a, a gun registry or something like that. They say that, you know, I keep my guns safe. I keep them locked away. I'm responsible. Then if you're responsible, you should be able to have a gun. That makes sense. I don't believe putting regulations on the item itself is what we need to do. That's why I, on my website, I talk about a nationalized standard for background checks. Everyone who I've spoken with agrees that if someone says no to you in California, you shouldn't be able to go to Idaho for a weekend, stock up at Walmart, and then come back. That's not what should happen. Nationalizing our standard for how we evaluate an individual purchasing a weapon is something that I feel is really important. No, and I I definitely agree. It is the Gun Control Awareness Month, I believe, this month. So it is an issue that has kind of been on the back burner because there has been so much 
going yeah. on in the news. So it's kind of gotten sidelined by everything else. We try not to focus too much on Trump because there is so much media to consume about him that there's enough out there. We right. want to focus on right. what affects us locally here. And the votes that are being cast will have consequences for this district and especially on climate change because yeah. of a lot of this district is low-lying or at risk. We were devastated by Hurricane Irene, which, yeah. you know, as hurricane seasons get longer, there will be more issues for this district. But let's be a little bit optimistic. It's not all doom and gloom. We're coming up on the summer. Uh, do you have anything exciting planned that is not related to your campaign? Because I'm sure you're out on the trail quite a bit. Maybe watch the last season of House of Cards. I, it's a <laughs> it's a personality quirk of mine that I, when I become obsessed with something, it's all I do. And if I don't do that thing, then I, I feel lost. So are are you obsessing over your your campaign right now? I'm I'm obsessing over what I need to do in order to be a viable solution to the needs of the people of the 19th district. It's not about running for myself. It's about trying to find a solution. And any way that we can do that, I want to be a part of. This concludes our interview with Steve Brizzy. Thank you to Steve. And this will conclude episode six of Spotlight 19. We are dedicated to tracking the votes of our congressional representative, John Faso and other issues that are important to District 19. Reach out to us on Twitter and Facebook with your comments, and we invite again John Faso to come on to our show. Uh, let's look after District 19 and its constituents. Thanks for listening, and we will be back next week with another show, Episode 7. Thanks so much, and keep the faith. Peace of mind. That's what you'll find. Come up to the house.